quite a lovely Jackson Pollock, isn't it? Yes, it is. What does it say to you? It restates the negativeness of the universe, the hideous, lonely emptiness of existence, nothingness, the predicament of man forced to live in a barren, godless eternity, like a tiny flame flickering in an immense void with nothing but waste, horror and degradation, forming a useless, bleak straitjacket in a black, absurd cosmos. What are you doing Saturday night? Committing suicide. What about Friday night? Had to whip out that clip from Play It Again, Sam. We're gonna need a bigger existentialist, nihilist, and pessimist boat on this episode. We're gonna need an Ark of Gnosis, for we will be sailing for 40 aeons and 40 archons to the farthest shores of imagination. A hunk a hunk of burning gnosis for thee in this eternal now, as we'll be dealing with an underrated and overlooked giant in philosophy, as well as his Gnostic pedigree. That is Emil Sioran. <laughs> I am so alone. Another brick in the wall for Yaldi Baldi, I assure you. Dreamtime is coming, and Tiamat is rising from the entropic oceans of the unconscious. You're getting a little closer to finding your authentic self. As Sioran himself said, Chaos is rejecting all you have learned. Chaos is being yourself. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. And as the Gnostic sage Monoimus wrote, Abandon the search for God and the creation and other matters of a similar sort. Look for him by taking yourself as the starting point. Learn who it is within you who makes everything his own and says, My God, my mind, my thought, my soul, my body. Learn the sources of sorrow, joy, love, hate. If you carefully investigate these matters, you will find him in yourself. Yes, you of the broken places, dream time is coming. Tiamat and her chaos are arriving. Hermes rises and Sophia embraces. So be wise, because the world needs more wisdom. And now go and make interesting mistakes, make amazing mistakes, make glorious and fantastic mistakes, break rules, leave the world more interesting for your being here. Make good art. Welcome to Aeon Bite. Welcome to the desert of the real. Welcome to the machine and the means to escape it. We don't take prisoners but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. We're writing our own gospel, living our own myth. I am your host and pompadus of Gnosis, Miguel Connor. So glad you're on this journey to the farthest shores of imagination. You are amazing, and you're going to do so many wonders once you find out who you are. 
Or as the saying goes, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Agreeing but countering this in a Jungian way, Andre Malru did say, Man is not what he thinks he is, he is what he hides. As Hemingway said, there is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self. Regardless, we're going to imagine to create better than the creator gods and their Karens and Katamites in the establishment. And without a doubt, Emil Sioran's ideas are red pill suppositories that crack open our bowels of orthodoxy and allow all the Nephilim shit to flow out from our ego. A true modern Gnostic, indeed, and our astral guest will make a convincing case for this. Honored to have at the virtual Alexandria, researcher and scholar David Topala, a countryman to the Romanian Sioran to boot. Ready yourself for a fantastic discussion, Ase Ase. You'll do this again. Time is a flat circle. I said, Nietzsche, shut the fuck up. Put it down. By Odin's dingleberries, Miguel. Did you say existentialism, nihilism, and pessimism? And add to that the surly Sethian attitude towards the cosmos? Is this what Gnosticism is? Is this how we become free? Why yes, and for the love of God, Montressor. I would actually say the Gnostic worldview is the most positive one out there. I just fucking kill myself. I've been so fucking depressed. Tony? Sorry, go back to bed. No, no, what? What now? It's all big nothing. What is? I've... Everything's black. Sure, sure. The Gnostics toyed with the aforementioned philosophies. Took negativity up to 11 many times. With psychedelic Lovecraftian gospels full of rape, violence, despair, and almost no chance for free will. But like Nietzsche, they contended you had to stare into the abyss to find the Rainbow Bridge. You had to travel to the lowest of the underworlds to find the Pearl of Great Price. Allow the demons to tear apart everything about you that was false to leave bare your divine spark. You had to bring all darkness, within and without, into the open to be absorbed by the light of awareness. No tree can ascend to the light of heaven if it doesn't descend to the depths of hell. Sartre said that freedom was the main goal of life. The Gnostics disagreed with the existentialist philosopher, saying it was the second to final goal. The main goal was ultimate human potential, transmuting into a being of ecstasy and passion, that dancing star of Nietzsche, born out of chaos. To go through all of that and make your way home again only to find such chaos in the world. I can only imagine chaos is a ladder. Yes, the Gnostic texts are dark at times. But if you look closely, you'll notice a celestial joy in the words, a complete victory in the rescue operation of wisdom and logos. 
You'll see a descending goddess saving her children, a laughing Jesus restoring the divine memory of seekers and dreamers. You'll see multiverses of light and dimensions of possibility that no eye has ever seen until Sophia wiped away all tears. You'll not just see, but experience all of this. I remember I am energy, not memory, not self. My name, my personality, my choices all came after me. I was before them and I will be after and everything else is pictures picked up along the way. Fleeting little dreamlets printed on the tissue of my dying brain. The authors of these texts were forever transformed. They understood that Mysterium Tremendum and the Mysterium Fascinans, the simultaneous awe and horror of the universe, of life, These mystics held up the darkness and light at once, accepted it all, and found a middle path into enlightenment. Like the Gospel of Philip says, Fear not the flesh, nor love it. If you fear it, it will gain mastery over you. If you love it, it will swallow and paralyze you. Light and darkness, life and death, right and left, are brothers of one another. They are inseparable. Because of this, neither are the good good, nor evil evil, nor is life life, nor death death. For this reason, each one will dissolve into its earliest origin. But those who are exalted above the world are indissoluble, eternal. In the end, the Gnostics and Emile Sioran were honest. Simple as that. They saw reality for what it was, and eternity for what it felt like. All life is sorrowful, is the first Buddhist saying, and it is. I mean, it wouldn't be life if there were not temporality involved, which is sorrow, loss, loss, loss. That's a pessimistic note. Well, uh, I mean, you can say yes to it and say it's great this way. I mean, it's the way God intended it. Sadly, so many meat sacks today aren't honest. They want to only see the light, the circle jerk of life with the subject eating Mufasa and Simba. They think creation is under some divine plan and don't realize when God closes a door, he doesn't open a window, but your butt cheeks. You make dogs die when they eat chocolate. You know, Don Jr., Testicles, that's terrible design. You know, you've had some bad ideas in the past, but I, I had hoped that the secret to the universe was something a bit more complex than just God's a frizzy-haired homicidal lunatic. On the other hand, there are those who see archons everywhere in their divide-and-conquer herd mentality infection. They want to bring some political, theological, or social heaven down on Earth or at least down on the heads of those who dare think or feel differently. They are the true pessimists and nihilists, believing utopia is just one more cancel culture around the corner or one more genocide in the future. Life is hell to them because they have created a hell in their minds. If people can't control their own emotions, then they have to start trying to control other people's behavior. As far as existentialists, eh, 
The Gnostics were certainly that, but in the vein of Kierkegaard or Johnny Cash. Eh, who gives a shit, right? Ain't no grave can hold us down, as Johnny sang. And it's all gravy, and we've already jumped off the gravy train. Or as C.R.N. also said, Everything is pathology, except for indifference. <laughs> Let us do our interview with David. I think human consciousness was a tragic misstep in evolution. We became too self-aware. Nature created an aspect of nature separate from itself. We are creatures that should not exist by natural law. Well, that sounds god-fucking-awful, Rush. We are things that labor under the illusion of having a self. This accretion of sensory experience and feeling. Programmed with total assurance that we are each somebody. When in fact, everybody's nobody. I think the honorable thing for our species to do is deny our programming. Stop reproducing. Walk hand in hand into extinction. One last midnight, brothers and sisters opting out of a raw deal. This is what I mean when I'm talking about time and death and futility. Now, there are broader ideas at work, mainly what is owed between us as a society for our mutual illusions. Right there in the last instant, it's an unmistakable relief. See, because they were afraid. And now they saw, for the very first time, how easy it was to just let go. And they saw, in that last nanosecond, they saw what they were. That you, yourself, this whole big drama, it was never anything but a jerry rig of presumption and dumb will. And you could just let go. Finally know that you didn't have to hold on so tight. To realize that all your life, not all your love, all your hate, all your memory, all your pain, it was all the same thing. It was all the same dream, a dream that you had inside a locked room. A dream about being a person. And like a lot of dreams, there's a monster at the end of it. This is the Aeon Bide interview, and with us, we have the pleasure of being joined by David Topala to discuss a lot of Emil Siran and some Gnostic insights, I am sure. David, thank you very much for coming on the show. We've talked for a long time, and it is an honor to finally be able to chat with you here at the Virtual Alexandria. Hi, Miguel, and uh, hi, Vance. Thanks for having me on your show been a fan for many years so uh, much respect to you both well thank you glad to be of service and again it's great to have these conversations and yes vance is with us too moondog how are you doing oh i don't know you know an interview is is kind of like 
only going to be over anyway, right? So <laughs> I don't know why we're doing it, but I guess, I guess I guess it's good. Hopefully, the aphorism "an interview is a suicide postponed" is won't be true this morning. <laughs> Channeling your inner pessimist, good deal, good deal. Yeah, so. nah, I'm okay. <laughs> awesome, yes. And David, you are in Romania, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's good. So yeah, so you'll definitely know. Uh, a lot about Emil, and we can even expand further. So first of all, David, why don't you let us know about how you became interested in uh, Emil Ciaran and uh, the occult in general, how you got to where we are talking right now? Uh, well, um, uh, I'll try to make a uh, long story short. Uh, let me, yeah, let me start by saying how I first found out about Ciaran because uh, that's actually very telling in regards to the way Choran viewed Gnosticism and the relationship between him and the Gnostic heresies in general. Uh, this happened many years ago when I was uh, still a, a theology student. Yes, believe it or not, uh, I once was a devoted Christian and oh, wow. <laughs> uh, followed the path of uh, preaching and studying the Bible. And um, Greek Orthodox or Roman Catholic? Uh, no, no, it's a, a, a evangelical. Actually. Oh, you're an evangelical. Oh, wow. So uh, during my uh, first two years at the theology school, uh, once I uh, dug deeper, I changed my mind on these issues, of course. And uh, the following summer, I actually was uh, expelled in a pretty dramatic way, bro both from the school and the community, which is a fun story in itself, but uh, maybe another time. So at that time, during uh, one of my classes, a uh, professor was trying to warn us against the intellectual and uh, spiritual dangers in our field. So he told us, beware, there are some things in this world which are purely evil, which are demonic to the core. There are books that carry satanic power within them and by opening them and reading them, you expose yourself to that uh, demonic influence. He continued by saying, um, not everything that is interesting, challenging, captivating is also useful. On the contrary. For example, when I was young, the professor said, everyone was talking about Emil Choran. He was like a sensation, a uh, trend among, among the edgy young intellectuals. Everyone was fascinated by his books. So one day I read for myself. And for a few days, I couldn't get myself away from Choran's books. I was intrigued and interested. But I stopped and never read him again. Why, he said. I could literally feel a demonic presence in my life once I started reading him. There was something uh, genuinely evil uh, there, something uh, intrins intrinsically satanic and uh, malevolent and had an extremely bad effect on my spirit. So uh, I needed to stop. So beware. So I don't remember now if I was convinced or not by what he said at the time. I remember for sure that... Um, I still hadn't read Choran for a while after, but this curiosity started to shape in my brain. Who is this evil philosopher? What could have possibly someone write down to be depicted in such a way? 
in my mind, I started to have this idea of an uh, intellectual monster, of an evil genius, of a philosopher uh, <laughs> okay. darker than all the others. <laughs> Uh, but uh, as I already told you, the fact that I learned about Choran this way was brilliant because it lines up very well with uh, Choran's views on uh, hermeneutics, heresy and Gnosticism. And probably I'll tell you why pretty soon. Wonderful. Thank you. And now you are just finishing school or tell us where you are as an academic uh, in relation to Choran and your education. So uh, this September, I uh, graduated the um, master studies of the University of Bucharest with a uh, thesis on Emil Choran. And um, uh, now I'm a student at the doctoral school, you know, for my PhD on uh, literary studies. So, yeah. Wonderful. Well, congratulations on that. I know I've congratulated on the email, but it's good to see you. Uh, more of these types of scholars. So wonderful. So let me know where you would like to start, David. Um, yeah, let me know. I mean, obviously, Vance and I have plenty of questions for you. Uh, my main question, I would say, and again, we can we can pause and uh, you can deal with this later, or you can deal with it now. But uh, the idea of Sioran's life born in Romania, and I'm saying this because I just got back from uh, Portugal, so you can tell the difference in the energies and the culture, good and bad. And, you know, there is a certain um, Mediterranean vibe uh, to Portugal. And what would you say, is there a sort of spiritual, intellectual or philosophical vibe to Romania? Uh, it's... Uh... Pretty funny that you're asking me that, because uh, in a way it's pretty ironic for me to shoot an episode with the A and Bite here where I'm at. Uh, I'm in a small village uh, in the north of Romania, and I don't mean it because of the war, uh, you know, being right at the border with the Ukraine. Right. Because of the local mythology of this area, which could uh, constitute an episode in itself. Uh, there are many legends here of uh, archaic giants that uh, allegedly were, were buried here. The village is surrounded by hills from all sides. And uh, some legends say that the hills are actually the graves of, of some sort of uh, Anunnaki. Wow. You even have like all the, all the articles with interviews of uh, some local people who claimed that in the past, during the communist regime, at nighttime, there were uh, excavators coming here to dig those giant bones and take them away. Uh, but let me tell you my honest opinion on that. I uh, highly doubt there's any Nephilim skeletons <laughs> around here, because I've got a lot of dogs, and knowing them, <laughs> I'm absolutely convinced that they would have sniffed something. And uh, uh, You could be so rich. Okay. One bone, you'd be rich. <laughs> yeah, about uh, Choran and the uh, Romanianness, because that's very interesting in itself. Uh, I might uh, get to that later. Sure, uh, sure. I'd, I'd like to start about um, some of the views of Choran on Gnosticism, uh, because as I told you, the fact that I found about him that way, that unfortunately or apparently unfortunate way, uh, it's actually very telling about how Charan view Gnosticism. 
Yeah, please do. And and I can relate. I remember being, what, 18 years old at a Roman Catholic school and taking an Old Testament uh, class and the priest warning us about the Gnostics, even though the Gnostics, you know, have nothing to do with Old Testament studies back then. But uh, so, yeah, and I'd always stayed in my head, like, who are these guys? Hmm. <laughs> but yeah, please go ahead. So... Uh... Charan had a very peculiar view on uh, enmity, on the idea of the adver uh, adversary, the enemy. He even said that uh, one should wish he had real enemies, as such is not even more than uh, having a real friend. He also wrote in his books that um, it's much more of a privilege for a writer to be hated than praised. And uh, he started the controvers uh, controversies as such, um, even when he was very young, for example, when he published his fourth book, Tears and Saints, he was considered a heretic and a uh, blasphemer because he was the son of a Christian Orthodox priest and uh, came out of a very religious family. And the community was appalled by the fact that uh, the son of a churchman could blaspheme in such a way. <laughs> right. Because, uh, yeah, anyway, Choran was fascinated not only by books and ideas, but also by the way people receive and uh, perceive and uh, react to them. Uh, this is very clear once he starts writing about early Christianity and their depiction of the Gnostics. And there are two interesting ideas that come out of his book, um, The Evil Demiurge, about the idea of the enemy. The first being uh, the idea of the enemy as a biographer, that those who oppose something and uh, react against it automatically become a reinforcer of that idea. When you criticize something, first you acknowledge its existence, its importance, trying to demolish it and abolish it and cancel it, you are forced to describe it, to document its existence, to give it value. Uh, and uh, not only that the enemy is a biographer, but he's a brilliant biographer because he's a passionate one. He's not an accurate biographer, but a brilliant <laughs> one. Uh, let's take the example of Gnosticism, especially before the discovery of the Nag Hammadi library. Uh, Choran uh, read the patristics, you know, the church fathers, and um, in his essay, The New Gods, from the book, The Evil Demiurge, we can see that by reading early Christian theology, Choran was impressed not by the, not by the writings per se, but uh, the ideas which they criticized, by the ideas which they opposed. Uh, he wrote that... Um, the early Christian apologetics is just a silly bunch of pamphlets hiding under the mask of a thesis. And he also wrote that by reading early proto-Orthodox Christian apologists from Tertullian to Gregory of Nazians, you can't help yourself but become a pagan or agnostic. <laughs> yeah. He said that in regards to hatred and intolerance and aggression, you can't find a better example than the church fathers and their reaction against heresy and uh, paganism. But uh, by opposing them, they attached value and power to those ideas. Otherwise, why would you bother to acknowledge and attack and dismantle your enemy in such a way? Only because you know he's superior to you 
And uh, in that way, the proto-Orthodox Christianity expressed its uh, inf inferiority to Gnosticism, the urgent need to completely cancel it. And um, by becoming its enemy, it became its uh, biographer and uh, its reinforcer. That's why Choran wrote, for example, um, with a different occasion, that only the skeptic denies God and truly opposes him. Not the devil, not the demons, because the demon, by reacting against God, he's reaffirming God. The enemy, driven by hate against you, he reinforces you and depicts you in a very strong, uh, he, sorry, uh, he depicts a very strong and vivid image of you. And that was the case with the early Christians against Gnostics. That was the case with my uh, professor against Choran. And that's the case with any other uh, cultural uh, rivalry that uh, you could think of. Uh, let's consider, for example, the way Christianity depicted Elvis Presley or Alistair <laughs> Crowley or <laughs> in general. Uh, I'm sure you have your stories as well, but as far as I'm concerned, I grew up in an evangelical community where I was taught that Elvis Presley was a devil-worshipping <laughs> entity yeah. that drove the masses insane and could make women have orgasm only by hearing his voice and watching his move. Uh, <laughs> Which is, uh, yeah, it's still ironic because Elvis was very much a Pentecostal Christian. He'd have yeah, Bible yeah. studies and his uh, campers and to the Memphis Mafia. He went to church. He was, yeah. As one of the most Christian people you can know, but he was also very into the esoteric at the same time. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, yeah, that's an inaccurate image, but a very powerful one. Mm -hmm. Another one, and we talked about this, that, you know, the pagans were sadistic, uh, psychopathic cannibals, right. committed human sacrifice until the good and noble Christianity took over. You know? mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And let's not forget that the same was true about Christianity before it became more mainstream. If we wouldn't have access to the New Testament and the church fathers and could only find out about the early Christians from the pagan depictions of them, uh, we would think that the Christians were a bunch of atheistic cannibals <laughs> who gathered yeah. in small underground circles, getting drunk. Uh, they were like vampires, you're right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Speaking of <laughs> Romania, they were vampires, according <laughs> to the pagans. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, so if uh, uh, proto-Orthodoxy wasn't to become mainstream, uh, this is what we might have known about them. Because your enemy, although uh, most certainly inaccurate, is still your biographer who carves a very powerful image of you. And um, <clears throat> a second idea that comes out of uh, Choran's approach uh, towards Gnosticism and uh, enmity is that we are the disciples of our enemies. Um, we manufacture our identity by opposing something or someone and thus uh, borrowing from them. Love it. Yeah. That, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. For the church fathers were certainly obsessed with the Gnostics. I think Irenaeus wrote like a hundred thousand words <laughs> against heresies and uh, very, uh, yeah, in an ironic way, he kept the Gnostic uh, vibe alive throughout history until these other texts uh, resurfaced or other groups resurfaced across history. 
Yeah, let's not forget about how the Christian canon was put into place. Mm -hmm. Most probably, at first, it was just a reaction, uh, you know, against Marcion. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Marcion came, hey, I'm going to do a Bible. Oh, no, you don't. We're just going to have to do it better. (laughs) I have a question. Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. Do you think um, that might apply to Chiron himself? I mean, it seems like uh, from a little I know so far, he did not like life, you know, itself. He hated life and he kind of put up with it. But was he its own life's own best advertisement? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, many, many agree with you. Uh, Actually, in Romania, it's like a trend, you know, the therapy through Chiron and um I listened to a podcast. It was actually actually an American podcast, I think, about Charan. And they said that uh, once you read him, you realize that he might be the most positive uh, <laughs> thinker <laughs> <laughs> there ever was. Yeah, well, That's what I say about the Gnostics. I say you don't understand how positive their message is through all the world hating and archons and all that. There's a well, there's a life existence affirming message. And there's a standing up for who you are and enjoying the moment as much as you can. Yeah, that's right. Um, so Charan was uh, attracted to Gnosticism um, partially, as I said, because of the fact that we've known about them mostly from its enemies. But uh, uh, he also had a uh, predilection, a sympathy for the outcast, for the underground, for the heretical. Um, maybe, just maybe. Uh, if uh, one form of Gnosticism would have become lately the mainstream Christianity, uh, he would have despised it. Just maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but as a heresy, as a subversion, um, he, um, uh, you know, he really admired it. And actually, when Charan, uh, you know, uh, wrote about faith, he mostly regretted the fact that he wasn't a believer in God because only then he could have blasphemed and uh, written down heresies. As a non-believer, these were just exercises, as he called them. But if he had the what he called the gift of faith, uh, he could have truly been a heretic. Um, he also said that uh, the main driving force uh, for religion is uh, heresy. Heresy keeps religion alive. Um, he said that just as you know, language is dead when you can no longer commit mistakes in that language. So, you know, your religion is dead. It's just a corpse when it uh, no longer allows the possibility of heresy. That makes sense. Even today, many of the Abrahamic religions do very well when they couch themselves as a minority and a victim. And they still do it today, even when it's obviously they're not. But uh, that's how you get uh, passion into people, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. So, um, any questions so far? No, no. Very good. Please continue. Uh, and uh, But at the same time, he intrinsically didn't really, of course, agree with the Gnostic idea. I think as somebody wrote... Uh, he was. Uh, he thought it was another fancy, and the Gnostics were 
uh, were wrong. It was a great way to avoid responsibility and so forth. I mean, he would, he liked him as sort of this, like you said, as this underdog, this edgy underdog, but uh, he certainly wouldn't agree with their uh, theology. And in fact, it seems he, he was kind of on the side of the demiurge. <laughs> Well, uh, that's partially true. Uh, I'll get to that uh, later. Sure. First, I think there's a side of Choran which our um, viewers or listeners, uh, you know, need to encounter. Because I think there's three levels uh, of Choran, as I understand him. First is uh, Choran, the TikToker. <laughs> then is uh, Choran, the thinker. And uh, only then Choran, the philosopher. But uh, each one of these levels is uh, captivating in itself. Um, and I need to um, emphasize a little bit the first side, the TikToker. Uh, actually, a couple of years ago, I published a poem in a uh, Romanian uh, magazine. The first line was this, uh, if Choran lived today, he would have made a great TikToker. <laughs> I agree. I mean, just imagine this individual popping up in your feed while you're scrolling, kind of lame uh, background, just uh, an old library or something, a uh, rusty Bach playing in the background, and he says this uh, provocative uh, one-liners like, it's not worth the bother of killing yourself since you're doing it too late anyway. That's it. <laughs> and so on. Yeah, you would have gone viral. Some people would have tried to cancel him. <laughs> yeah, his uh, aphoristic style would have helped that. Uh, I mean, in many ways, he belonged to the school of uh, French uh, moralism. He had brilliant one-liners. Um, yeah, or democracy, a festival of mediocrity. I agree <laughs> with that, that one these days. <laughs> Yeah, and in some of his late books, you can see how after reading again his Romanian books from his youth, he's extracted just the one-liners and uh, <laughs> reintegrated them in his French books. Uh, but this is a good thing, because uh, Choran had the gift of formula. He could repeat the same idea all over again without uh, getting boring. Uh, that's why he's extremely quot quotable for that matter. Actually, most of the books written about him are quoting him excessively. He made it that way, that uh, you cannot speak about him without letting him speak for himself, mainly. <laughs> Man, that makes sense. Yeah, and I, of course, I should say schools, he certainly would agree with the Gnostics and the existentialist side. The Gnostics were certainly existentialists. They played with nihilism and the idea that we are exile and we must do the best. So just adding this, I'm sure you will expand on this, but please continue. Oh, yeah. I mean, if we've got the time uh, and you allow me, I would like to sure. read a few of these one-liners. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. <laughs> TikTok. Let's do some TikTok. Yeah, let's do some TikTok. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I translated them into English myself. I hope I didn't uh, fuck this up too bad. Uh, so hear me out. Um, when the last illiterate will disappear, mankind will disappear. The bitterness of existence dissipates at the idea that it's in our own power to stop it, that we hide within ourselves the freedom of our own absence. When you're trying to convert someone, you don't do it to save him, but to make him suffer the same way as you do. 
<laughs> Love it. <laughs> uh, may I go on? I wrote like 50 of these, uh, but if it gets boring, just stop me. Yeah, give us another. It. Yeah, they're, they're great. Give us another oh. 10 or 15 if you want. To suffer means being active without doing anything. Accurately, you cannot ask yourself what life is, but what is not. Anyone can achieve salvation in his sleep. Everyone's a genius when he sleeps. There's no difference between, between the dreams of a shepherd and the dreams of a poet. A book needs to deepen your wounds or even create them in the first place. A book must be a danger. Building a family, I'd rather build an empire. Aging is just the punishment for existing. Any utopia close to its fulfillment looks like a cynical dream. The difference between man and the animal is that the animal can only be an animal, but humans can be inhuman. They can be something other than themselves. The fact that I exist proves that the world doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I got to put good. it on mute. I'm laughing so hard. And going, <laughs> <laughs> no, you can laugh. Yeah, it was just, funny. <laughs> he was funny. Yeah. But I don't know if I should be laughing like Vance. Are we Are we the baddies, Vance? <laughs> I guess we are. I think Groucho Marx must have studied this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Woody Allen. <laughs> wouldn't be, it wouldn't be members of a club that would have him. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll get back to the TikToks uh, in a second. You mentioned laughter. So um, in his first book, uh, when he was very young, On the Heights of Despair, Choran said, if I ever uh, go mad, I would like to have that kind of madness just to laugh without control. Mm -hmm. And uh, right. you know that he suffered from Alzheimer's uh, in uh, his last years. Uh, and, uh, you know, Gabriel Lichano, who took that uh, interview that I sent you, visited him uh, like uh, the summer before he died. Uh, and he, he wasn't himself anymore. So he gave him that very first book, which he wrote. He, uh, you know, he took it and held it upside down. And he asked, um, you know, a broken French, uh, who wrote this? And he said, you did. You are very young. That's your first book. Wow. And he said, and what was I doing before that? <laughs> I started to laugh, yeah, without control. Um, all right. So back to the TikToks. Um, <laughs> more, more. More, yes. More. Uh, we are not running forward towards our death but running away from the catastrophe of our own birth. Mm. Uh -oh. Very Gnostic right there. Being alive. Being alive. I'm suddenly struck by the weirdness of such a claim as if it applies to nobody. <laughs> the feeling of being late or early by 10,000 years compared to the others. Longing only to the beginnings or the ends of mankind. 
when you're absolutely convinced that everything is an illusion, you don't have to bother proving it. <laughs> Perfect. Here's a, here's a savage and funny one. Sometimes you wish you were a cannibal, not because you want to eat certain individuals, but because you want to vomit them. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even shit them. <laughs> Everything alive in our folklore came before Christianity. And that's true with any one of us as well. Mm, wow. By being born, we lost the same amount that we will lose by being dead. Everything. Ooh. My views on the future are so clear that if I had children, I would kill them in an instant. <laughs> that's <Whoa>. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we laughing at that? I know, that's the whole point. We, there's some kernel of uh, something, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, God exists, even though he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> nothing deserves to be destroyed because nothing deserves to be created. Oh, ouch. <laughs> yeah, I tried to, you know, to choose them um, um, in such a way that they're diverse, and I extracted one from each one of his books, so... Um, these are amazing. Yeah, so here's a different one. If I never trusted Freud, it's solely my father's fault. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not finished. So he was always telling my mother his night dreams, thus ruining my mornings. <laughs> okay, and uh, since we're laughing anyway, Religions, like all ideologies that inherited their vices, are only crusades against laughter. Oh, wow. Speaking of, makes sense. Whatever dies has never existed. Ooh. We should only speak about our sensations and our visions, never about ideas, because they are never truly ours. Perfect. Interesting. Existence would be justifiable if only everyone acted as if they were the last human alive. Whatever I know destroys whatever I wish. Ooh. Ooh. It's utterly impossible to love God in a different way other than by hating him. Gnostic right there. If life was real, who could endure it? As a dream, it is a mixture of delight and terror which we abandon ourselves to. The spirit is nature's nightmare. I'm thinking about men and see only shadows. I'm thinking about shadows and see only me. Objection against science. The world is not worth knowing. Whenever we're afraid, we are the victims of our own future. Insomnia is the only heroic act compatible with the bed. <laughs> Does the sun shine to keep us warm? 
Does the night exist in order for us to dream? Does the sea exist so we can navigate through it? Since the world has had meaning, it lost its primal existence. Writing is a postponed aggression. I only write to avoid acting my vengeance. For hundreds of years, humanity has looked at the heavens through a cannon hole. <laughs> Whoever hasn't died young deserves to die. Thank you, Emil. It's very nice. <laughs> yeah, they. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is actually the conclusion of his book, uh, The Evil Demiurge. We are all living on the bottom of a hell where each second is a miracle. A civilization is destroyed only when its gods are destroyed. Thus, Christianity, unable to attack the empire itself, attacked its religion. Why should we... Uh, uh, rebel against the symmetry of this world since chaos itself is just a system of disorders. After spending enough time contemplating the idea of your own nothingness, you can't help but see yourself as God. Bach, Shakespeare, Beethoven, Dostoevsky and Nietzsche are the only argument against monotheism. <laughs> I cannot understand how one could possibly believe in God, although I am daily thinking about him. <laughs> Any thought bores me to death if it doesn't contain at least a slight sign of brutality. You cannot live without the gods, nor with them. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I wrote a rehabilitation of all heresies. Only nothingness and illusion are real. I wish I was the contemporary of nobody. We truly love a friend only when he dies. And uh, one to kick us into the next uh, segment of our discussion. The fools build the world and the wise destroy it. Mm. Fools build the world and the wise destroy it. Love a lot it. of wisdom these days, huh? No, I know, I know. <laughs> there is one quote, too, where he's talking about exile, and he says, only the village idiot thinks we belong. Yeah, and it's quite difficult to translate that from Romania. It mm. sounds much funnier in Romania. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a very vulgar language, as Joran said, a mixture of spirit and third. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and although he later stopped writing in Romanian and speaking the language, uh, Whenever he cursed, he couldn't help himself but curse in Romania. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the series, or at least the first season of True Detective? Although very Gnostic, some have said that draws very much from Siodan. Uh, uh, Russ, the protagonist, is again very pessimistic about the world, very existential. Uh, no, uh, I haven't yet. Okay, yeah, check it out. I think Any, you'll enjoy it. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I have another question. 
maybe it's just me, but I kind of sense that even though he was an agnostic, maybe he felt deep, deep, deep inside that there was a better existence beyond this world's existence, you know, notwithstanding God's existence or not. But uh, it sounded, it, you, if you think that, uh, if you listen to all those aphorisms and think of that concept, it seems to be compatible, but maybe I'm just seeing part of, you know, what he's expressing. Um, no, I think you're right, um, actually. Because, uh, you know, um, uh, everyone agrees that uh, Charan was a nihilist. But um, his, he has a very uh, peculiar nihilism. Because uh, his nihilism is a form of uh, passeism, if you know the word. It comes from French and means, um, you know, like a uh, passion and obsession for the past. Uh, like a nostalgia for the past. Oh, yeah. So um, Choran viewed, um, you know, man, consciousness, uh, whatever is human, uh, as uh, the sickness of the animal. Like consciousness is uh, the animal becoming schizophrenic. But the animal himself, um, in Choran's view, was like a, a disease of the biological. It was the biological life becoming ill and uh, hallucinating. But um, the biological life, in Choran's view, was um, just an, um, a, a virtual uh, improvisation of matter, of the material universe. But again, the material universe was viewed by Choran as a disease of the primordial nothingness, which uh, existed before all things. And uh, when it became sick, it spawned forth the material universe. So Choran thought if you look deep enough within yourself, you can see all these layers of existence uh, buried inside of you. Actually, in a uh, a very recent book, which was only published last year, which is a, um, a manuscript that was found in France recently, uh, uh, you know, uh, of Choran. Uh, he called it uh, like an internal archaeology. But you can, uh, you know, see this in all of his books. He thought that if you look deep enough within yourself, you can see your past existence, even to the layer of the pure primordial nothingness itself, the only thing which is uh, unaltered. It's very Gnostic, actually. Yeah, you... indeed. All right. Any other questions? No, please continue. Let's, let us merrily and laughing go to the next section. Uh, well, since um, your show is uh, usually focused on Gnosticism, um, I thought I would uh, talk more about uh, Choran's approach towards Gnosticism, because there are many interesting things to see there. Of course, yeah. So, uh, in a way, Choran's approach towards Gnosticism was in line with his approach on any worldview, religious or philosophical or whatever. I quoted uh, earlier that the fools build the world and the wise destroy it. What he <laughs> means by that? Here's one answer. Every worldview, any um, Weltanschauung, as um, the Germans would call it, uh, either whether religious or philosophical, has two sides. 
The first side is negative. It's a critique, a deconstruction, a subversion, a disruption uh, within the natural order. Something is wrong. There is a problem. That's the first side. The second side of any worldview is positive, affirmative. It's uh, soteriological. It's the solution to a problem. It's the possibility of salvation. Let's take, for example, the metaphor of the Matrix, because we're all obsessed by that movie. What's the worldview of uh, Morpheus? First, the negative, the subversive, the disruptive. We are all living in a simulation, a virtual reality meant to keep us slaves to the machines that use us as uh, batteries. We are not born, but harvested. We are all in a deep sleep connected uh, to the giant uh, mechanism that feeds the machines and induces us the illusion of living in the here and now. But it's all a dream. All right, so that's the negative side, the first side. The second part of uh, Morpheus's uh, worldview is um, take this pill and come with me outside of the matrix. Uh, of the matrix. You can be unplugged from the matrix. You can be free in the desert of the real. Join us, be miserable and free and fight the machines. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. There's also real women in Zion there. But, yeah. So that's the positive part of uh, his work, yeah. the affirmative. And you have these two components in every worldview. So Choran's approach towards all the worldviews that he encountered was this. He accepted the first side, the negative, the critical, the subversive, and he rejected the affirmative side, the positives, the soteriological, uh, any kind of salvation. And that's true of any worldview that he encountered, including Gnosticism. Uh, but I'll give a few other examples first, because um, those are fun as well. For example, Buddhism. Uh, Choran was uh, very sympathetic towards Buddhism, um, especially in his book, The Evil Demiurge. But uh, we can tell that mostly he agrees with the negative sides of Bo Buddhism, its subversion of reality. You know, that the world is an illusion, that suffering is everything and everywhere, that uh, there is no individual self and so on. Uh, Forgive me my uh, harsh and maybe grotesque uh, reductionism, but you get the point. No, no, of course, yeah, yeah. Makes but he, didn't, he did not agree with the soteriological side of Buddhism, the affirmatives, the positives, you know, uh, attaining, uh, reaching uh, nirvana and ending the continuous cycle of uh, death and rebirth. Uh, the same with Nietzsche. Choran agreed with his critique of men, religion, history, culture, morality but uh, deeply rejected Nietzsche's uh, soteriolo sot soteriology. Sorry, excuse my English and my French. Yeah. <laughs> no uh, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he really despised the idea of the Superman, the Uberman. Um, also, although in his youth he was deeply influenced by Nietzsche's energy, vitality, megalomania, explosiveness, <laughs> which is in... Uh, a way, this is one of the affirmative sides of Nietzscheanism, but he rejected all those later and distanced himself uh, from it. I'll give two more examples, you know, to get to the Christian theology. 
before getting to Gnosticism, um, let's see a couple of Christian worldviews that Charan encountered. Uh, Calvin, uh, Calvinism. Yeah, on one hand, I think it's difficult to find any positives in Calvinism. <laughs> that, that doctrine seems dark to the core. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. You're either saved or not. So what's the point <laughs> in even arguing or doing yeah. anything, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, Choran wrote in his notebooks that he agrees with stuff like total depravity, original sin, predestination, or uh, fatality, better said which are the first uh, side of Calvinism, but he would have never agreed with uh, the second part, salvation through faith, the perseverance of the saints, the grace of God, atonement, and so forth. Or uh, Catholicism, for that matter, you know, uh, rejecting without a, doubt, without a doubt any affirmatives of the Catholic worldview, he actually sympathized um, as I said, with the doctrine of original sin, but he was also fascinated by the extremism of the medieval saints in their uh, rejection of flesh and matter. And as I said, his book on sainthood was a scandal in the religious commu community because um, of all uh, Catholic sainthood, the only part that got his interest were the negatives. Uh, he thought that uh, the religious self-mutilation of the body was actually a form of uh, sexual uh, masochism. You know, Jesus being like the Christian gray of the right, yeah. uh, He said, you know, just think, was there any other men in human history that drove women so insane that they were virgins for him their whole life and self-mutilated their bodies for him? <laughs> and adored him and asked for his acceptance and forgiveness in ecstasy their whole life. No, no, maybe Elvis, but that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the Church of Elvis. Yeah, yeah, at least according to the church, yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of Gnosticism, Choran's approach is pretty much the same. He agrees uh, a lot with the subversive side of Gnosticism, its negatives. Uh, the world is corrupted to the core. The creation of the world was uh, either a failure or an act of uh, sheer madness and malevolence. Uh, <laughs> the creator is either evil or incompetent, which in the divine realm, it's pretty much the same. Mm -hmm. Our, uh, our birth, our coming into existence is a cosmic fall. We are doomed by joining the cosmic scourge of history. But when it comes to the positive side of Gnosticism, its uh, soteri uh, soteriology, its possibility of salvation, there's not much in Choran. Um, so uh, both in his books and his notebooks, Choran would mention uh, Yaldabaoth, Yaldibaldi, as you call him, <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the name, but uh, never Sophia. Uh, he would mention the cosmic illusion and corruption and failure, but uh, not the Pleroma. He would uh, mention the uh, cosmic fall into history, but uh, never the idea of Gnosis, nor its um, benefits for salvation. But I need to emphasize this. Unlike many other worldviews, Gnosticism was used by Choran a lot more. Actually, if there's two philosophies that uh, he would have identified with the most, 
those would be Gnosticism and Buddhism. And he acknowledged this, uh, acknowledges this many times. Um, after finishing the evil demiurge, he writes in his notebooks, apparently I'm a Bogomil and a Buddhist. Uh, <laughs> a new fusion, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, for those that are not familiar with uh, Bogomilism, was uh, like a neo-Gnostic tendency here in the Balkan area, not in Romania, but in the countries around it, um, in Bulgaria, Macedonia. And actually, there was a Romanian um, professor at the University of Chicago, Ah, where I think you live, Miguel, right? Yeah, you're going to mention Culiano. I love it. Yeah, Culiano and the Tree of Gnosis. Ah, A great book, yeah. Amazing scholar. Yeah, and uh, also um, uh, Mircea Eliade. Of course, yes. Yeah. There's another great giant. Yeah, he was a professor there. Yeah, he was a classmate of Joran. They they were uh, oh, interesting. At the University Eucharist. Yeah. So yeah, Joran would uh, juxtapose uh, Buddhist and Gnostic myths many times, uh, even in other books. So I don't know. Um, I don't know what to talk about next. I uh, got something that you might want to talk about. Right. How about his views on women, since he was man? You know, his views on women, and in particular, his uh, his partner Simone Bouie. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but he never mm-hmm. talked about her. So I'm wondering. It's like a secret you know, thing that he kept to himself. I, I'm, I'm wondering, it didn't seem to enter into his philosophy. Well, apparently, you haven't read his first book on the heights of despair, because uh, there, you know, uh, writing about women and somehow praising them, uh, he makes some uh, pretty misogynistic <laughs> remarks. <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's not about women per se, but also about sexuality in general. Uh, Charan loved women, actually. Uh, everyone who met him in person knows this. Um, uh-huh. But he writes somewhere in his notebooks that um, from all the major themes of this world, from all the possible subjects, a very important one, which I've never covered in my books, was uh, sexuality. Um, well, maybe in another... Jorge Luis Borges, I'm sure, wrote, there's some dimension where Siron talks about this. So, um, for another lifetime or a parallel universe. Uh, I like this quote, too, uh, from his book where Siron writes, uh, the Demiurge is the most useful God who ever was. If he if he were not under our hand, where would our bile be poured out? So, brilliant idea about projection and the human condition. Yeah. So yeah, as I said, although uh, like any other worldview, Choran uh, agreed only partially with Gnosticism. Yeah. And it was still very compatible with many of his uh, views. Uh, I. Um, you know, I tried to find uh, the parallels and uh, found at least four. But yeah, those are all uh, very interesting. Um, 
Yeah, if you want me, I'll uh, I'll keep uh, talking about the relationship between nature and Gnosticism because there's a lot of stuff to cover. Sure, yeah, that's the whole theme of the show. Yeah, we could do. There's so much more, and of course, a figure, a giant like him, would take forever to really get into all his dimensions. But here at AM Byte, we want the we want that gnosis and the Gnosticism. All right, so. Um... First, the Gnostic uh, cosmogony fits like a glove with the Choran's views on literature. You know, uh, Choran loved reading, and uh, that's what he's been doing for most of his life, just devouring books like a vulture. Um, and the literary world, you know, has beauty, has symmetry, intensity, it's full of meaning and lacks meaning at the same time. But Choran thought that no matter how fascinating and intriguing a book is, it's born out of the madness, out of the author's demons. He said that in spite of, uh, you know, in spite of the aesthetical value of a book, it is still born out of internal wounds and it hurts the reader as well. And that was true of himself. Uh, as well he he said i wrote my books because um uh, how, uh, because of my incapacity to kill myself or to kill others <laughs> and, yeah. and, so you didn't uh, say a book is a suicide postponed yeah yeah that's right or, or murder postponed right <laughs> ooh, sometimes yeah 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 he said i uh, poured uh, out my rage on the paper in order to avoid hurting certain people. But now the irony is that through this book, many more people would be hurt. Yeah. So he saw many parallels between the literary work and our cosmos, between the artistic creation and the creation itself, and between the demiurge and the writer. And he accuses both uh, of uh, the impossibility of retaining, of keeping their madness within themselves by creating something. Uh, I mean, let's look at the world. It has beauty, it has symmetry, it's a whirlwind of meaning and the lack of one at the same time. It's pretty much like a work of literature. So by analogy, it makes a lot of sense if this uh, apparently literary universe was uh, spawned forth out of a damaged brain by a demon-infested brain. Um, another, another time he wrote in his notebooks that uh, uh, literarily speaking, justice is a mediocre ideal, that the more profound novels are the ones in which finally there's no justice. And again, uh, analogously, the universe seems like a piece of literature, which for the sake of being interesting and intense and tragic, sacrificed justice and dignity. Yeah, food for thought. <laughs> Very much, yeah, makes sense. And again, watch uh, True Detective Season 1, one of my favorite television creations and... Uh, You'll see a lot of Siodan and also a lot of Manichaeanism, and you'll see a lot of it. But yeah, he's uh, I agree. He's underrated, and I'm glad we had this chat to give him a little more exposure in other places. Uh, do you have a website or anything? Are you pretty much underground in case somebody wanted to chat with you or reach out to you? Uh, no, no. Uh, currently, I don't have any uh, any social media or anything. Uh, 
just a TikTok account. <laughs> <laughs> Ironic. And you put these dark sayings. I, I, on I was uh, I was pretty active on Facebook a few years ago, but I uh, deleted my account. Who knows? Smart. Maybe I'll um, I'll let you know, Miguel, in case there's. All right, yeah, yeah, in case because some people might have questions and so forth, but. Uh, if not, they can reach out to me and I can forward them if they have any burning desires or questions or suggestions what to read. So, well, yeah, we can always connect. So, and uh, yeah, we certainly hope to have you on uh, another time so we can expand on this. But Kronos uh, has spoken and this is the end. So, first of all, Vance, thanks for uh, keeping us company. I hope this was worth it and it wasn't just, ah, oh, it's over. Oh, <laughs> What's no, the I, point? No, I kidding. loved it. You know, Sharon has saved me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Good deal. Good deal. I know his stuff. I love his stuff. Well, David, thank you very much for coming on AM Byte. This was a wonderful discussion. And again, uh, good luck with your higher learning, your search for the PhD. And we look forward to the next time we chat. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Oh, you shining crazy diamonds. Don't you feel so much better now? I know I do because Sioran provides honest reality and that path to the rainbow bridge. In our second part, David explains more on the Gnosticism of Sioran and provides to his fascinating cosmology. We'll learn Sioran's views on suicide and reincarnation and how they intersect. We'll find out what is the Romanian psyche and how it affects its artists and philosophers. David will grant the questionable politics of Sioran, as well as his philosophical and literary influences, and much more. So please become a member for the full positive Gnostic message. It's only $6.99 for AB Prime or $4.99 at Red Circle or whatever you want to pledge a month on Patreon. For AB Prime members and higher level patrons, you'll get access to my private Facebook group and Discord channel. If you find value in this content, please support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Your help can be in the form of some shekel donations to PayPal or the US Mail. There is also a link on the show notes if you want to leave a tip via Stripe now, as I know many of you are pissed off at PayPal for its recent evil. I also have the merch store and an Amazon wish list. Consider joining the Finding Hermes program, where we have bi-monthly meetings on Gnostic practices and rituals, as well as some cool Q&As. I'm also on Rockfin or Odyssey if crypto is your bag. If you need help with all these choices, just message my ass. I am always here to help, and I truly appreciate your help. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. Hey. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.